our top stories tonight. Football is back. The Hall of Fame game is on tonight. And from now until February, we will have NFL action every single Sunday. What? Not every Sunday, I guess, but every single week. And soon we'll have NFL on Sundays. We're here to talk about the Hall of Fame game, what's going on in training camp. And we've got the first mover host to talk about the first game of the preseason. Mark Garcia joins player profiling today. What's going on, man? He is Mark Garcia, the host of the First Mover podcast. Pleasure to have you on the show. So happy to have you here tonight. How's it going, my friend? It's going great, dude. Thanks for having me on. I'm stoked to, like you said in that intro, man, we got football today. This is awesome. Now until February, every single week, we will have some form of NFL action. Even if it's preseason, we have it. And of course, for the first game, we have to have the host of the First Mover podcast, which just dropped two weeks ago now. Is it uh, your second episode that just dropped? We're through three now. Three now. Ooh, getting into yeah, yeah, the yeah. thick of it. How's <laughs> it going hosting First Mover? And why don't you introduce what fir- First Mover is for those in the audience that will, of course, be tuning in all season long? Yeah, I appreciate that. No, First Mover, it's going to be a DFS-centric show designed to kind of take a first look at pricing releases for the coming DFS uh, slate for the following week. Um, during the offseason right now, what I've been doing is kind of taking a theoretical look at some best ball stuff. We've talked a lot about human psychology and different formats and how kind of the human brain works and how why that matters in, in a game of competing people. Uh, so it's been a, quite the fun ride so far. Obviously, we're going to get really into the meat and potatoes once we get into the season um, and get some actionable intel from first pricing releases and first takes and look at some matchup stuff. And it's going to be it's going to be a good ride, man. I love the concept and I love that even in the offseason, you are still grinding away teaching people, especially with the psychology stuff, the mass The masses of fantasy football, we know so much. There are so many brilliant strategists, brilliant analysts out there that it can be hard to get an edge at times. And it's starting to become how how do you get an edge in DFS? How do you win in some of these big tournaments? Because everyone is just as smart as you, has the exact same information you do. So what are some of the things that you are finding make the most difference right now? Yeah, and that's that's an um, an important realization because we're no longer in the age of DFS where you can simply gain an edge by knowing football or by following news. Those were um, the days, eh? Yeah, right. We're we're no longer in the era of Team Jamamin running backs, David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell. It's it's it takes a little bit more nuance and realizing and being very um, intentional with how you're building rosters, and that's kind of. Um, that entire discussion is really what pushed me to game theory um, three or four, probably four years ago now. Um, that discussion of like, hey, this stuff is approaching in the game theory realm. We call it common knowledge, uh, which is you cannot gain an edge by uh, any one move that you make away from what is termed as optimal theory. Uh, and when we when that is the case, we say it's approaching approaching Nash equilibrium, getting all nerdy. Um, but that's kind of like the state of like 
player takes of projections. Projections are back tested and they get more accurate year over year. Um, and we're talking medium projections, range of outcomes, all that stuff is less of an edge now. It's not like we can just, my projection model is better than yours, so I'm going to print money. We're, it's, we're kind of beyond that. So this, this idea of theory and how human psychology interacts with that, those theories and where do we go and what can we expect the field to do on a given slate, those are all really important to kind of just add into our decision-making process and kind of bias our, our tendencies when we're building a roster to be more exploitative and exploit those inefficiencies from the field. And we'll get into some of those inefficiencies right after this word from the Podfather. Hey, I know you want to win a fantasy championship. Good news. We actually have consultants that will run your team for you and get you to the finish line. Patrick Murphy and his team guarantee you a playoff spot. Here's one happy customer. I've been playing fantasy football for about 10 years now in the same league, and I'm always mediocre. I was never able to kind of break through that championship realm. And I honestly just didn't have the time or the will or the desire to put in the work that it took necessary to win until I met Pat Murphy. He was able to give me a draft strategy, help me with free agency, uh, make some trades and deals for me at the deadline that were able to put me over the top. And last year, I actually won my league for the first time. Big shout out to Pat. If you don't have it yet, please sign up for his subscription service because it's the best. So go to playerprofiler.com slash advice, and we'll take it from there. And we are back. And so, Mark, right now, what is the biggest or some of the biggest inefficiencies that you personally are finding and you're looking to exploit as we gear up for the offseason? Or the real season, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it depends on kind of what contests you're playing, right? Because the the strategies are going to be different, whether you're looking at playing mass field GPPs, single entry three max, cash games. But typically in GPPs, the most inefficient part is kind of how people are looking to deal with chalk, how people are looking to deal with ownership. And how do you handle that? A, a word you, like a buzz term you hear thrown around the industry a lot over the past couple of years is a pivot. Well, it's like a pivot is basically moving to a different player in the same pricing tier um, at a certain position. And we have to realize that the rest of a roster is going to be built very similarly to kind of what I call the chalk build in those instances. So the composition of those nine roster spots all look very similar from a salary allocation standpoint. So I like to, some people have said flip the build. Some people have said basically move away from the chalk build. I like to just build differently than the field, which is effectively shrinking the number of other rosters that I'm competing with on a given week. And that way, if you do happen to have the roster that cashes, you are splitting the money with less people. It seems as though that is starting to be the way to go. Just building something unique, something that other people aren't building. What about tonight? Did you build any rosters for tonight for the hall of fame game? I am full DGen, man. So you know I did. <laughs> yes, we've got some rosters in play for tonight. And who is kind of headlining your rosters or some of the guys that are headlining it? 
Yeah, so after we get off of this pod, I'm going to have to go adjust because a list of 37 players for the Browns just dropped that are going to not be playing. Um, so there, we're down to the big name, I think, that was somewhat of a shock was Jerome Ford um, is getting that starter treatment and not playing. So um, there's really only two backs that I expect to see some playing time uh, for the Browns tonight. And then also, it's really down to like, uh, Schwartz and Tillman um, and like one other wide receiver who should see significant run tonight as well for the Browns. So we like to see opportunity and a little bit more certainty specifically in, in preseason stuff, which we're kind of getting from at least one of the sides tonight. Yeah, it is kind of a condensed target share with Cedric Tillman. Dalen Baldwin is one of the other players that has been highlighted throughout training camp. Hopefully see a lot of them. Sounds like we're going to see a ton of John Kelly as well with Jerome Ford out. But I do love this news for Jerome Ford in the season. This means that he really is going to be that RB2. He's going to be in there to spell Nick Chubb. Of course, I expect Nick Chubb to get 70% of the touches around that. But it's nice that there's just one guy right behind him that could potentially step in if anything goes wrong. Yeah, 100%. And Jerome Ford has been one of those ambiguous situations that we really didn't have much information about. So this, yeah, this gives us a a little bit of a confirmation um, that he is going to be utilized in that backfield this season. And looking at this Jets side of things, any exposure to Jason Brownlee, who seems like he's the new Lance McCutcheon from last year, throwback to another D-Gen play in preseason DFS, Lance McCutcheon superstar. Yeah, he's he's been really the talk of camp out of New York, it seems, this offseason. Um, and I expect him to get fairly significant run, at least in the second half. Um, I'd expect him to at least play a full half uh, tonight. Um, and you're likely to get that paired with Strebler. So um, a, a, a guy who has been known to attack downfield, a guy who is very mobile. So that makes a very, very natural stack um, or pairing, I guess, in a, in a showdown format uh, for this slate. Yeah. Grey Cup champion Chris Strebler, might I add. Love our CFL. Looking at some of the players that aren't playing tonight, but just have had news blurbs come out throughout training camp, especially today. The big story of today, Zach Charbonnet returns. We heard that he was going to be out indefinitely, and then he comes back two days later. It seems as though, Pete Carroll, if you're going to be back soon, then you're probably out for the season. But if you're out indefinitely, it's fine. It's fine. You're going to be back in two days. Yeah. He either does not have a good grasp on the English language or he just loves messing with people. It's, it's gotta be one of those two. <laughs> I think he just hates us and wants yeah. to mess with us. <laughs> yeah. You cannot take that man at face value ever really. It seems. Um, but yeah, it's like we expected maybe Kenneth Walker to beat Charbonnet back to the practice field. And then Charbonnet was only out for two days, less than 48 hours. So that was kind of shocking, um, and it, but it is good to see the rookie back on the field. Yeah, I'm still not worried about Kenneth Walker. I think it's going to be fine. It sounds as though he's going to be back shortly and that he's not going to miss week one. There's no threat of that. Hopefully not anyways, because Kenneth Walker is our number 35 player, 35 days out from the season. You can see that over on Twitter, over on Instagram. But we at Player Profiler believe Kenneth Walker is going to remain a bell cow. Zach Charbonnet is going to mix in potentially, but not a whole lot. Are you of that mindset too, or are you sprinkling some action in on Charbonnet? Yeah, I think um, the way that we have seen 
Pete Carroll and VOC and kind of the the tendencies out of Seattle, they would prefer to run a 70 plus kind of snap rate type back. And that back is most likely to be Kenneth Walker, at least to start the season. That said, there I think there is value in a guy like Charbonnet, particularly for that contingency value, because we know kind of how good of a rusher and, and how he how good he is. We should see some a higher rate of explosive runs if he ever sees the field. Um, so he's likely to start the season as a strict change of pace guy. Um, and they're likely it's not going to include a lot of pass down work. Um, but the contingency value um, remains high for a guy like Charbonnet. Especially for a player that missed time last year, missed week one with a groin injury, had that sports hernia and is already banged up this year. So I'm still a believer in Kenneth Walker, but in terms of handcuffs down the stretch, he is going to be, end up being that handcuff. It might be DJ Dallas early on just because he's the incumbent, but he'll lose that job quickly enough. And it sounds as though Devon A-Chain might be taking the job with the Miami Dolphins. It seems as though every day we're just new clip of him catching the ball or just completely running away from everyone else. What are your thoughts on Devon A-Chain, especially as we get word that Dalvin Cook doesn't love what he's hearing from the New York Jets. Yeah, some of the value that's been associated with the Miami backfield this offseason is that ambiguity piece. First, they draft Devon A. Chain, and after re-signing um, both Jeff Wilson and Raheem Mostert, and then we get the news that Dalvin Cook is wants to go play in Miami. We know that he's a guy that kind of wants to play for a contender, um, but he wants to get paid as well, and it seems like both New York and Miami are unwilling to pay that. Now, I thought it made very little sense from an organizational standpoint for Miami to be pursuing Dalvin Cook, and I still kind of feel that way. So I think it's highly unlikely because they're not going to want to pony up any cash. They spent a significant chunk of change on their defense this offseason, so they don't really have it. So with, with all that said, I think Devon A. Chain, the way I kind of think of him, is his role is fairly locked in or his expected role is fairly locked in in the sense that we kind of can pencil him in with uh, a little bit more than pencil. So it's like in between pencil and pen him in for uh, the third down, the schemed usage out of the backfield, those kind of things. They want to get him in space um, similar to the way that Mike McDaniel utilizes Tyreek Hill and, and Jalen Waddle. Um, that said, I would say it's equally as unlikely that his role grows significantly throughout the season. And that is probably even with an injury to either Jeff Wilson or Raheem Mostert, because he just doesn't have the, the body type, the archetype to take the repeated between the tackles type beating. And yes, I say between the tackles, this isn't necessarily a between the tackles run scheme, but he's not built to take on a significant workload week in and week out. He could fulfill that on an emergency basis, but is not likely to sustain like 12 to 15 weekly carries plus pass catching work. So while I love his upside, I think he is more likely to be a consistent producer on a lower range with those spike weeks added in. Yeah, he's going to see... 35 to maybe 45% of the snaps, no matter what. But even with an injury, I don't see him getting above 50% of the snaps. It would take yeah. multiple injuries for that to happen. And even then, we've seen that they're comfortable using Miles Gaskin in sh certain situations, Savon Ahmed. These aren't fantasy-relevant players, but they would keep 
him from reaching that upper echelon where he's never going to see that type of workload that we really want him to, which is unfortunate. But I think where he's being drafted right now is perfect. Once Dalvin Cook signs elsewhere, then he's probably going to be steamed up just a little bit too much. But for now, this is the golden window for Devon A. Chain and for Jeff Wilson. I like Jeff Wilson a lot, especially because he's going to be the guy in on the goal line. Yeah, 100%. I mean, my highest exposure currently is with Jeff Wilson. Woo, great. From mind. that backfield. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ah, okay. I thought it was your highest exposure. Player. No, no, no. That's the, no, I can't say that in player profiler because it'll it'll piss off the podfather. It's, <laughs> it's JMO. <laughs> oh, Jameson yeah, yeah, Williams. Yeah, it spicy. is spicy. But the upside with Jameson Williams is absolutely there. The downside is also there as well. Yeah. But the upside is very tantalizing. And from reports in training camp, I know it's up and down. I know he's punching undrafted free agents. I know the coach is talking about how bad the hands are, how they'll never be elite. But the thing people like to leave out is the speed is elite. The route running. He is just cooking people off the line of scrimmage. He just is struggling to catch the ball. So once he puts that together even a little bit, it's going to be fine for Jamison Williams. I'm still a hopeful with Jamison Williams, but that is obviously my Detroit Lion fandom. A little uh, bit biased. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm the type of player when I'm managing, and I'm more strictly speaking to best ball, that I'm fine embracing the wide range of outcomes players, the crazy variant kind of guys. And he kind of, there's no other player going that late at the wide receiver position that carries the same like single week upside that he does. And that's just a profile I'm okay buying into. Yeah, the Deshaun Jackson profile where he doesn't hit that often, but when he does, it can go for a 30, 40 point week. Mm-hmm. But Amon Ross St. Brown can do it too. So we love our Lions wide receiver. It's it's nice to just get exposure to this offense because it is such a potentially dominant offense with a lot of touchdowns to go around now that Jamal Williams isn't hammering it in on the one yard line. Yeah, and I think he was paying Amon Ra under the table to go down inside the five last year. <laughs> That's the only explanation I got. <laughs> he wanted that record so bad. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of some of these rookies and some of these players still, Anthony Richardson, the third practice in a row that he is working exclusively with the first team. He hasn't officially won the job yet, but I think it's pretty safe to say, barring an injury, Anthony Richardson will be the Colts starter in week one. Is he being drafted too high as a player? We don't know what he actually is, or is the Konami code putting him in the good graces? Yeah, I think he's his his ADP, I think, is baking in the risk of him not starting the entire season. If he were announced the starter after he threw on that Colts hat on draft day, I mean, he would be going probably in tier two of quarterbacks, and he's currently going around tier three, tier four guys. So yeah, I think that's all baked in. I am... He's a guy that I have a, a ton of exposure to um, just for that Konami type code. This is like, I think I saw him compared to Derrick Henry at the quarterback position today. I think it was Justin Herzig that threw that out there, uh, but I thought that was a, a really good comparison. This is a guy, just a physical freak and he's playing quarterback. <laughs> so like, we haven't really seen that um, since like the, the old school Philly days, like Donovan Nab and Michael Vick era. Um, that were that dominant as athletic talents. 
bulked up to 252 pounds as well put on 8 to 12 pounds of muscle the guy is a freak and i can't wait to see him on the field and i agree i think honestly at this point he's probably going too low because we know he's going to start 17 games People just haven't adjusted to that. Just watch tomorrow. He's going to be going even just a little bit earlier. And then the next day, it's just going to keep going. Anthony Richardson, this is the time where he is not officially the starter, but we know he is where he's going to get steamed up real good. Looking at some of these other situations, not that Anthony Richardson is a running back, but he's built like one. Look at some of the other running backs, though. Javante Williams expects to play in the preseason. What are your thoughts on Javante? It's pretty clear that he's going to be ready for week one at this point. Yeah, and a lot of people are comparing Javante to Brees Hall. And if you look at their timelines, Javante was injured in week four last season. So he's got almost an additional month in recovery time compared to a guy like Brees Hall. We can debate the the archetype and the player themselves before injury all day long. I mean, it's Brees was the more talented back completely, but as far as like being ready for actual football and now the reports backing that up for Javante that he expects to play this preseason, that's fairly significant as far as this, you know, what can we expect on day one? Um, he's a guy that I kind of was buying into during the dip. And I think you can continue buying in because a lot of people are worried about Samaje Pirine with all of that, um, all of the hoopla behind him this offseason. He really got steamed up. And it's like, this is still a guy that has not seen more than 97 carries since his rookie season, which was six years ago. So um, this is not like a guy who's going to come in and just sweep all this early down usage away from Javante. And Javante is a very, very talented runner. Exactly. And here's how I see it. I think at the start of the year, I do think Samaje Pirine is going to lead. It's going to be a 60-40 split, 55-45 split for week one. And then as the season goes on, by the end of September, this is going to be Javante Williams' backfield once again. The question then becomes, what does that actually mean with the Denver Broncos offense? Is it going to be good enough for Javante Williams to sustain fantasy points? And I imagine you believe so. I believe so. Um, I'm a I'm a buyer into Sean Payton, and you look at the last time that like, these the head coach and the offensive coordinator were paired together, um, being Sean Payton and in New Orleans, basically they worked together for five years in New Orleans, and they were fifth or better in scoring per game in all five of those seasons, and that's fairly significant. And when Sean Payton went to New Orleans, he took over for a four win team. And he took him to a 10-win team. And this is back in 16-game seasons. He took him to a 10-win team the next season. So I'm a firm believer in Sean Payton. I'm a firm believer in Russ is not necessarily cooked. Um, he, ba he was basically asked to do things that he is not comfortable with in that Nathaniel Hackett offense, which is throw into coverage. And he hates that. I mean, look at Look at the wide receivers he's worked with throughout his career. You know, like Doug Baldwin, Tyler Lockett, um, DK Metcalf, these guys that are separators, they can create space. And that's what he grew up on. That's what he has been over his almost decade long career. And then he was asked to throw into coverage into tight spaces to Cortland Sutton, who could not separate into. And when you look at the, the outcome of last season, Greg Dulcich was the leader in the clubhouse of all pass catchers in separation at target. And I think that contributed to a lot of why he was relied on so much by Russ is like that guy's open. I'm gonna throw to him. He does. He just doesn't like throwing into coverage. So 
with the Sean Payton offense, this more dynamic and fluid Joe Lombardi offense, I think we're going to see a, a fairly significant rebound for Russ this year. And I think Marvin Mims is going to be a big part of why that happens. He's going to have a Brandon Cooks type rookie season where he finished as a wide receiver two in points per game. Only 10 games from Brandon Cooks as a rookie. Hopefully we get the full 17 from Marvin Mims. And I think in a year, two years, people are going to be wondering, how did I let him fall to the second round of dynasty drafts? And how was he going so late? Yeah, 100%. I'm a firm Marvin Mims believer. I think he is third or fourth overall in my best ball portfolio as far as uh, exposure goes. Um, and it's super unfortunate, the circumstances, but for him now to be expected to be a day one starter, that's that's huge. That's massive. That's why he was going in the 14th, 15th round of redraft and best ball. You see now he's probably going to move up 11, 12 round range. Um, so yeah, my my bags are packed for takeoff on that one for sure. Big Marvin Mims fans here at Player Profiler. A player that is pretty controversial at Player Profiler is Calvin Ridley. Calvin Ridley was limited yesterday. He had a sore toe. Blames it on the cleats. He says he's changed his cleats to what he wore throughout the summer. And now he's fine. Does it worry you a little bit that a wide receiver that played five games in two years is already limited? Or do you think it really was the cleats and we don't have to worry about it? I think the the truth is probably somewhere in the middle there. Um, and he didn't not play because of injuries. I mean, it's the, the suspension. So I, I don't know. <laughs> I can't sit here and say I'm one where I'm kind of just at the field as far as exposure goes on, um, because he is very clearly talented. He's also getting up there in age and, um, he's in a, in a wide receiver room and a pass catcher room for that matter. Um, that is not, it hits deep. They have a lot of, very skilled pass catchers. So um, to think that he can immediately come step into 27, 28% you like elite alpha target market share. I don't think is, is I think that's wishing too much. Um, but yeah, he's going to have spike weeks that offense. Look at what they did last year. I mean, pretty much all the top pass catchers, all four of them on that offense last season, just basically rotated like spike weeks. And I think that's what you're going to see again this year. So from a redraft perspective, I'm probably under. Uh, from a best ball perspective, I think he's just fine. That is my opinion as well. I love this Jaguars offense, especially in best ball, because everyone's going to have wide receiver one weeks. Evan Engram will, Zay Jones will, Christian Kirk will. And that's why I don't like Calvin Ridley as much because he's going so much higher than Christian Kirk. I'd rather have Christian Kirk. And I love some Zay Jones here. But... He is going to have multiple weeks as a wide receiver one in fantasy. He has wide receiver one overall potential some weeks. He's just not going to hit it consistently because yeah. the other weapons are so good. Another offense with a lot of good weapons, the San Francisco 49ers, Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy is ahead of schedule. He was supposed to take two days of throwing, sit one day off. Two days of throwing, sit one day off. Didn't do that today. He went out and threw despite having the day off. Brock Purdy starting week one, isn't he? I think so. And I think that was always the likeliest case. Um, I am a little concerned because we've seen reports of him having struggles gripping the football, the football coming out before his release point. Um, he That could lead to some fumble issues. And we know that Shanahan, how he views that. Um, so yeah, while, while I do expect him to start week one, I do have my concerns a little bit. 
I think they're giving him the long leash throughout the summer where he can work all of those kinks out. And they're hoping that by week one, he is going to be good. He's going to be 100% and will be their QB all season. As for RB2, though, Elijah Mitchell is going to miss at least a week with an adductor strain. And this guy just cannot stay healthy. It is so frustrating because he is so talented. But Elijah Mitchell out once again. Yeah, that's probably my fault because I've been pounding the table that CMC is probably overvalued and it is because Elijah Mitchell. So that's that's my bad, guys. Yeah, <laughs> that injury's on me. Yeah, sorry. Is CMC still overvalued now? I mean, the CMC is priced that Elijah Mitchell was not there. If Elijah Mitchell is not there, he's probably priced appropriately. But the fact that this offense is, I mean, again, they enter the season every year healthy, but we know that they've had their issues staying that way. Um yeah, I, it's probably appropriately priced as the RB1 overall, the four, five, six range um, without Elijah Mitchell. But this is probably, it's an adductor. I don't know how that affects the other core muscles around that area. I don't know how that affects the groin. Um, I'm no doctor, but I'd assume since all those muscles are kind of intertwined and connected there, that he could stand a heightened risk of further core muscle injuries throughout the season. But as things stand now, I'm still under weight on CMC. Um, and I think Elijah Mitchell was probably one of the better, like handcuff type running backs. The wide receivers in round one are just too good. So I get it. I have been drafting a ton of wide receiver. Mark, thank you so much for joining me. Any final thoughts, any pluggables to plug the first mover podcast. You can catch it every single week now and through the season. Anything else? No, man, I'm just stoked to be here. Check out the First Mover podcast, highly DFS-centric. If you're into theoretical stuff from a DFS or best ball perspective, go check out One Week Season. That's where most of my work is housed. Um, and we are basically trying to move past the player takes in DFS and best ball and approach the games from analytical perspective, theoretical perspective, and conceptual perspective. It is a must-listen-to show. The information there will make you a better fantasy football player, better DFS player. So go do it. Go and check out the First Mover podcast. Mark, thank you so much, and we will see you next time. Hey, I want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. It's important to me that all of our media be free. This is only possible because of you allowing a true independent sports media enterprise to thrive unlike any other in the business. So please subscribe to the All In Package to continue to make all this possible to ensure that all of our stats, information, data, content is available to you, especially you, the people that get the site and get the show.